Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, this is David Crowther here, here at the History of Technicolor, and I'm joined by my colleague... Uh, me, Wolf O'Neill. Wolf, you're going to ask me the traditional question right now. So, David, what is the film that you have selected for us today? Y- yes, and why did you choose it? Perfect. Great, great question. So, uh, I have chosen the film Bell. Uh, why have I chosen it? It's a very difficult question. I chose it because... I listened to it about, I watched it about 18 months ago. I think on your suggestion, or because you mentioned it, and we both, Jane and I rather enjoyed it, and thought it was really good, um, and it provoked questions which obviously are very much in the news these days about race, empire, slavery, and gender, actually. So I thought, well, what an interesting film to watch, both good and topical, and that's why I chose it. And it's a great choice, might I add. Thank you very much, Wolf. Shall I tell you a little bit little bit about it? Yeah, please do. Tell me about it. When was it set? What's it about? Excellent. Well, it's a 2013 movie. I, it was made in 2013 rather than about 2013. It's directed by Am- Ama Ashante. It stars Gugu Mbata-Raw in the lead role as Belle, the eponymous role, and as a host of other great actors uh, like Emily Watson as the Countess Mansfield, Matthew Good as her father, John Lindsay, Miranda Richardson, who's trying very hard not to be Queenie uh, and mainly succeeding. But I did expect her every so often that she would say something like, is it a stick, Blackadder? But she manages to resist it. And then Tom Wilkinson as Lord Mansfield. It, it feels like Tom Wilkinson's in every movie we ever do. 
It does seem to, but I have a problem with Tom Wilkerson, which is that I get him confused with the guy Rush. What's his first name? Uh, Geoffrey Rush. Geoffrey Rush, uh, Australian bloke. I get to Tom Wilkerson and Geoffrey Rush mix up all the time. Uh, interesting. Uh, I There's nothing I can say about that, but uh, No, it, I don't know it, why. It happened I mean, I mean, I invited Jeff round, obviously, frequently for supper, and Tom Wilkinson <laughs> turned up. It was every time, you know, most distressing. Yeah, every time. You've got the wrong phone number. I think that's the problem. Damn. Um, anyway, it should, be, so... should be pointed out this film also stars Draco Malfoy. Oh, poor old Tom Felton. Why is he such a horror in every film he's in? I bet his mother, Mrs. Felton, says, Oh, come on, Tom. Why don't you play the hero for a change? I mean, you know, what is that all about? I don't know. I don't know. But he's uh, he's a very good Draco Malfoy 2.0 in this. He is, indeed. He's extremely evil. Uh, so, here's the story. The story is that this is set in the late 18th century. John Lindsay is a Royal Naval Captain and a delightfully dressed Royal Navy Captain, because I'm sure you'll agree, me, agree with me, will you not? Wolf, that there is no better form of clothing than an 18th century naval British naval captain's kit. Correct? Um, it, it is very good, um, but I should express that I, I have a penchant for uh, elf ears and cowboy boots. And you can take uh, that as you will, but uh, those are two pretty, pretty cool pieces of clothing. Uh, what, together at the same time, elf ears and cowboy, cowboy boots. boots? Perfect. Great choice. Anyway, it reviewed incredibly well, um, sort of 84% on the uh, Rotten Tomatoes thing. And I think it made a lot of money, didn't it, Wolf? Yeah, I think I think I read that uh, when it launched in America, it opened the same week that the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man film came out, the, the brand new one at the time. And I think this right. uh, had better box office success that first week. Okay, here's a question for you then, based on that piece of information. Who is the best Spider-Man? Um, it helps that I already know your answer, but it's uh, it's to- Tobey Maguire. Mm-hmm, correct. Well done. Right, so the film is based on an 18th century painting. It's a very interesting painting, because there are loads of paintings, actually, of 18th century posh houses in England which show black characters. And they're generally speaking, they're in a suspiciously slave-like role. So young boys often, one of them, I, one picture I remember particularly, he's wearing a sort of diamante collar, which looks suspiciously like the takeoff of a slave collar. This painting is very different. It shows two aristocratic and very well-dressed young women. One of them is black, and that's Dido. Dido is in a slightly higher position in the painting than her cousin, Elizabeth, who's also in this film, by the way, and therefore it suggests equality. And the screenwriter, who was... I think the screenwriter was uh, Missan Sage, if I've pronounced it correctly. There you go. It's a good job you've come on the programme, because I had actually forgotten to write that down. Was inspired by this and built this story about... Uh, Dido. We don't know an awful lot about Dido as it happens, but the film is based on a real person. She actually did exist. We know that much. The last thing to tell you about the film is that it's set against the background of a very famous slavery case called the Zong Massacre, where 
the captain of a ship, well, the owners of a slave ship, try to get their insurers to pay for 142 people who they just threw overboard, all chained together in their, their chains so that they could kill them. They claimed they did that because they were running out of water. But they essentially, the, the court case is around, could insurance be claimed for people or are they just goods? So, I mean, a horrendous setup. And it was a monumental court case, wasn't it? Well, we'll come to that. Ah, OK. <laughs> um, so the film, did you enjoy it? Um, I did. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I think maybe it was a bit slow to get started and I was a little bit sceptical, but I got pretty quickly swept up, especially as the court case progresses. Um, and I kind of figured out what it was doing. And uh, yeah, I was I was entertained, thrilled, inspired. I thought it was great. Okay, very good. What was your attitude going into the film? Did you think it was just going to be what? What do you think? I, just, I don't know. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what its approach to history was going to be. Also, to be honest, I'm always a little bit sceptical of a movie when it comes up. And it's always usually in... I know it's never the same font, but in my mind, it's always the identical font that says, this is based on a true story. And it's mm. it's blasted right in my face. And whenever it comes up with that, I'm usually... in in my immediate response is to think, no, it's not, or it's so vaguely based on a true story that now you're going to try and convince me that a bunch of fabricated things are true. So, I don't know. It's a a little thing. I think, just to be honest, the film was a bit slow at the start. Mm -hmm. Um, And I couldn't really... I don't know. It it felt a little bit like a Jane Austen novel or something, and I didn't -hmm. didn't really know where it was going to go. And to me, it just... It found its... uh, it's mojo uh, when it got into the gender politics of the time, the racial politics of the time, the ramifications of the court case, and everything that it kind of set up slowly at the beginning started paying off. But yeah, I guess I just was uh, a bit sceptical that it would be maybe, I guess, revisionist history. Uh, and do you like um, Jane Austen? Um, I quite like Sense and Sensibility, but um, I had to read Persuasion at school and I hated it. So I fall somewhere in the middle. I think I ought to give it another go. I hate Sense and Sensibility, just as a sort of digression. Do you know why I hate Sense and Sensibility? (laughs) Because you hate Alan Rickman. No, I love Alan Rickman, but he's not a good romantic lead. I agree with you. But um, no, that's not the reason. Because you hate Hugh Grant? I love love Hugh Grant. Okay. No, uh, wrong on both counts. What I did was... When I was young, I recorded my children's life on a camcorder and carefully took the bits I wanted to keep and put them on a videotape, okay, so that I could reuse the tapes in the camcorder. You know what's coming, don't you? I think so. It took me a long, long time. And, of course, I wiped over the first five years of my children's life in order to transfer it. Well, one day I taped Sense and Sensibility over that tape. Haunting. I hate sense and sensibility. Anyway, uh, there you go. I rather like Jane Austen. <laughs> it's not Jane Austen's fault, after all. Or, or what's his name? Philip Ang, is it? Whoever it was. Anyway, I, I'm babbling. Basically, I think you're quite right that it's very Jane Austen-like. And I think it's consciously Jane Austen-like. I personally don't feel that it has Jane Austen's subtlety. The triumph, I think, of Jane Austen is that she says, 
so much without saying very much. Isn't there a song about that? When you say nothing, you ain't saying... I can't remember. Rowan, what's his name? Anyway, I'll get on with it. But she's very conscious, I think, writing the screenplay to ape that sort of Jane Austen feel. It is a good movie. I did enjoy it. Um, I enjoyed it a lot less than I did first time round, I have to say. And do, you think that's, interesting. do you think that's just because of how recently you watched it? I don't think so. I think it's because I found it more and more, less and less satisfactory. The really good thing, I mean, the film explores themes of gender, as you said, through the the traditional stuff, you know, the very Jane Austen type stuff. You see two young women in, in Elizabeth Murray and Dido who are trying to get themselves a husband. Neither of them at the film's start are expected to inherit a lot. Dido is black and the daughter of a slave and the daughter of the, of the, the captain. She lives in a household where she's obviously loved by her adopted parents, Lord Mansfield and Lady Mansfield. But it's very clear that she's on a lower level because of her colour and her background, her illegitimacy, than Elizabeth Murray. So there's all the gender politics stuff of them trying to get married. And Tom Felton appears as an utterly villainous um but again, very traditional villain for a Jane Austen-type novel who comes in, wants to marry, who's really interested because he thinks she's going to inherit. Then her mother finds out that she's not going to inherit. And so Tom Felton goes and looks for somebody else and leaves poor Elizabeth all on her own. Dido then gets to find out that she will inherit because her father has died. So she inherits £2,000 a year, which is a lot of money. And... That then Tom Felton's brother, Lord Ashford, is interested in marrying her. And of course, you don't know whether it's because of her money or because of her. And you suspect it's because of the money. So there's those gender politics going on, the inequality. Although it is worth noting, of course, that the men are locked into that system as well. You know, they are also victims of that sort of posh marriage market of having to find a somebody to marry with money. So that's kind of fine. That works OK. But it's a little bit obvious We've seen it all before, is I think probably why I sort of uh, twiddled my thumbs a bit. The racial stuff is very interesting. Again, I think the, the key bit of equipment that the filmmakers took with them when they made this film is a very large trowel. Okay. Because what happens if they trowel it all on? So the the racial and the gender politics are very interesting. So... And there's a very touching bit, actually, where Belle begins to realise that she's not accorded the same treatment as her cousin, Elizabeth Murray. So she's not allowed to go into supper for the main bit. She can only join them in the drawing room afterwards. And you're never quite sure whether it's because she's mixed race or because she's illegitimate. And both issues come up, but without. but you kind of assume that it's because she's mixed race. Connected to that, there are two of my favourite scenes in the movie. The one when, mm-hmm. after she is allowed in, and obviously everyone in the room has gasped and said all the horrible things they want to whisper about her behind her back. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth plays the piano, and they decide they want to yeah. embarrass Dido, um, who is, in their eyes, pretending to be a lady when she could never be. So they ask her to perform, and obviously her family has kept her from ever performing in public 
So we get this build up and Miranda Richardson's very smug. And then um, she's a significantly better piano player than Elizabeth and Mm. stuns them with with this incredible rendition. So I enjoyed that. But my favorite scene in the whole movie was a tiny little scene. Um, Maybe we'll bring it up again later. But when the servant, who is black, and there's some discussions about whether she would be a slave or not, comes into Dido's room and Dido is combing her hair, but she's really struggling and she's in a lot of pain. And she's embarrassed as well around this servant because of the racial issues and identity. Um, But the servant comes over to her and offers to teach her how to comb her hair correctly um, because she has different hair. So she passes on this cultural knowledge that she gained from her mum and she passes it on to Dido in a really small but brilliantly noticed scene. And I thought that was the epitome of the the benefit of the writer and the director's influence on this story. Just one little moment um, that I just wouldn't get in a Jane Austen novel, for example, that that highlights the modernizations and and the kind of slightly different approach to the storyline. I think it's a really good scene to pick up on. You're absolutely right. It, It kind of stands out because it is authentic or it feels authentic, whereas I felt many of the other scenes just felt like something... I'd been through before. But yes, that's a lovely scene, I agree. And actually, in the film, Gugu is very good. You know, the actor who plays Belle is very good and she really drives it and um, she's very active. And when we come on to the later bits of the film where she decides that she's in love with uh, a penniless curate um, and she tries to work with him, he's an abolitionist and she tries to work with him to get evidence into that court case so that they can win the court case. You know, it becomes a bit more dynamic and um, at the same time it becomes way less historically accurate. So, Wolf, before we move on to the the court case and all that kind of aspect of the film, how do you think then it dealt with the gender politics side? I actually thought that the film did a really good job of tackling both racial and gender politics. Um, I thought there were a wide variety of female characters of different races and standings and that they reflect the various means in which they are repressed. And especially within Dido's household, every character gets a little scene, even if it's just one, from the servant to the grandmother, who is brilliantly played by Penelope Wilton. Um, Mm. And I think we get to see... Elizabeth and Dido and the Lady Ashcroft and the the grandmother, as I said, and the servant. And they all get these moments to interact with each other. And we see the different ways that there are these complicated and rigid structures of class and um, race that dictate how everyone is allowed to interact within this world. As you've already said, um, Dido can't figure out her place within the household because she's not allowed to um, be with the servants and she's not allowed to be with the um, the family, the Murrays, um, at their meals. She has to come in at certain times. She doesn't really know her place in this world because she is, uh, I guess, anomalous to an extent. When we discover that Dido has gained the inheritance and Elizabeth has not, we then see how Elizabeth is affected by her role as a woman in society at this time, because now she is no longer a prime marriage candidate. And we get to see how this affects her interactions with, with Dido 
Um, Dido obviously gains more respect by gaining by possessing this inheritance, but she also is at a disadvantage because of her heritage, her race, and her sex. She's she's sexually assaulted at one point in the movie, which I th- think is interesting because I wonder. A, it only happens because she's a woman, but I think it also might only happen because of her heritage as well. Basically, what I'm arguing is that these characters are more are more fleshed out, even the supporting ones, and they're all given different and single perspectives on everything that is happening. And they all have important things that they need to say. And so they're not just kind of background characters that each, even if it's in really small details, comment on the larger issues about gender in society at this time, as well as race. Okay, so, I mean, I I agree with you in the main. I think there's one very touching bit where, as you say, she says, I don't really know which world I'm going to inhabit here. I think also there's a very interesting comment by the the aunt or whoever it is who essentially has had to spend most of her life not being married being a a sort of housekeeper type person and that's the future that bell is looking at um until she gets this inheritance and and that shows you know the as you say the complicated gender politics going on uh here that her future is looks pretty bleak what did you think of james thornton um was he the draco's brother the other brother yes that's right see i thought he was really interesting it comes a little bit more into the racial side of things but i find them a really interesting pair of depictions of um of racists in that tom felton obviously jumps off the screen as the one who's going to yell racist slurs physically attack and assault people he doesn't hide how he feels but his brother has all these lines where he's like oh wow isn't she so amazing this jewel this this rare flower so exotic and his like infatuation or obsession with her which is questionable enough as it is because we know that she will make the inheritance um and interestingly enough tom felton even though he wants the money, would never lower himself enough to have that marriage. The second brother can, though, for to, to benefit the family. But still, I find his the way that he treats her, and he says stuff like, um, "Oh, my, my brother has a problem with your origin, your like family history, but I, on the other hand, do not, as if that somehow makes him really great. And we get all these really good lines where you see the slightly more passive undercurrent of like racist beliefs and tendencies that he exhibits the two sides of of a a similar something with two sides um but i I think that they're an interesting parallel against each other and they clearly then oppose um divinia i think i agree with you i think tom felton's character i felt was a bit dull because it's just i suppose you need it and he's a satisfying villain but it's a, it's again the trowel has come out, whereas James Thornton's character is, as you say, much more complicated because the racism is more subtle, but it's still there. Yeah, uh, so I agree. I, I think they they work as a pair, uh, and it's handy to have both to kind of work yeah. with and oppose each other. Okay, so then we get to the to Doctor Devenier, who is the pure curate with whom uh, Bell falls in love. 
And they have, there's a sort of a romance, obviously, the Mansfields don't want her to marry this poor curate. They want her to marry somebody, the Ashford. And you get this sort of romance where she defies conventions and eventually will run away with uh, Dr. Davinier. And she's supported in that by Lady Ashford. And, you know, everybody accepts it by the end. And it's, uh, this is a plot spoiler, isn't it? So it's, but the ending is kind of feel good, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and did that work for you? It does. Um, I think over the course of this discussion, I'll argue that pretty much everything in the, that the film does works for me, ultimately. It, it gives us the answer we want. She's very open about it. And this is where it talks about the, the gender politics. She's like, I don't want to be enslaved in a marriage to a person I don't want to be with. Now, Davinia says to her, um, would you lower yourself in order to raise your rank? This idea that would it to demean yourself to be with someone who doesn't have any respect for you, who in our senses is racist towards her, considers her lower than others so that she can have a, a better um, marriage in terms of um, social status. And thus, you know, then her family want that for her because it will put her in better standing for the rest of her life. Um, but she would be unhappy the entire time. So she wants to reject those systems which will force her to live a miserable life. Um, and she wants to kind of follow the the purer sense of, of love and a, a marriage that would actually mean something to her, even though it would then demean her socially. When we come to ver- historical veracity, I've got some problems with it. But, you know, it's a, it's a nice story. Yeah, it's what we want. So like- it's good, I think. Yeah, we want that. We don't want the, um, we don't want the truth. The um, court case, does that work satisfactorily for you? Yeah, I think. So one of the questions that you'd posed to me before was how does the film deal with issues of slavery and colonialism? And I think the court case is wrapped up in this, is central to this. And I've thought about it a lot because I think it you can take it a number of different ways. But I think that overall, um, it gives me the correct impression of the reluctance for change that would be felt at this time um, by the characters involved and by the country. Um, I could be wrong, but I feel like what we have is a, a minority voice um, that has some concerns and some conflictions over slavery. Um, but, but the majority, as displayed in the movie, fully support it or at least turn a blind eye to the worst parts of it because it makes the country rich. It makes the country powerful. Our empire is booming and growing and developing. And I think the, the, the court case um, is something you can feel passionate about and be engaged in. It makes the characters yell and shout and stand up for their beliefs and puts people in their positions on right and wrong and where they should be. And it, when he goes to deliver his speech, and it's slightly misleading, obviously, when they begin, but you really do get the sense that it could go either way. You, you know that you're watching a movie, so it's probably not going to, but it sufficiently conveys that even the most powerful judge in the world this um, like an adoptive parent of Dido who has these experiences. So knowing someone of mixed race isn't this uh, abstract concept to him. That even then, in all of that moment, with the evidence put forward by uh, impassioned abolitionists, that he still doesn't really want to break these systems and structures that are in place. And he's considering voting to 
uh, agree with the the ship's captain and the the company that killed all of the the slaves on board. And I think it's that reluctant nature, which is very believable. It's not completely showy and grandstanding like you get in some movies. It obviously has a bit of that. And I think it's just a slightly more nuanced recognition. I agree with you that... However, historically accurate it is, and we'll come to it to come to that. They play that very well as a piece of piece of theatre. We never really loves a, a courtroom drama, don't they? And he's very he does make that reluctance clear. You've got the abolitionists, you've got the good guys, you've got the evil guys who are the people making all the money, all the slavers who have murdered these people, and you've got society in the dock because. We're, we're even having this conversation, you know, um, how can that be that 142 people were thrown in the in the water to die and yet we're having this discussion? So, you know, everybody's in the dock and in the right place. And the answer is the reassuring, uplifting one. Uh, so, well, so it works quite well, I think. Yeah, uh, and I agree. I do think it's reassuring and I do think it's uplifting. But I think the main point that I've come down to, especially when I looked up some of the history afterwards, is that mm. it, I don't know, it's, sometimes it's too showy and it kind of makes me feel like everything's a bit sorted after this, a bit too much of a yes. bow on everything. But ultimately, it's a room full of people who are disappointed. There, are no, there aren't that many cheers when the court case comes down. The room is full of crowds baying. blood they do not want this decision to be made they do not want to stop this they do not want to see the country fall as they've said throughout like they think that he can't vote fairly on this and every the rich people and the country want slavery to continue and they want this case Mm. to be voted on in the right way so that they can continue to do what they're doing and i think the movie recognizes that um it isn't uh i do think overall the movie knows that this didn't just solve everything and we can't just absolve ourselves of our role in colonialism and slavery, especially for Britain, which likes to pretend sometimes that we were the good guy. Okay. Well, we like to say that that's the case. Yeah. Uh, But we can argue about that differently. Um, So as a film then, with all that we've said there, summing it up, basically, as you said at the beginning, it's great. It's a good film and you enjoyed it. Yep. I think the only thing I criticism I've got goes back to the gardening implements thing. It really does lay it on with a trowel. I accept all of the things you say, actually, about the way it allows a lot of different people to have their voices, and there are, there are some real moments of pathos. I feel the I find the romance with Dr. De Vinier, uh, uh, just a bit, yeah, okay, fine. This is what's going to happen here. I find the whole thing a bit obvious, Nonetheless, the messages are, are very interesting. It's played with some sensitivity and it's a nice, feel-good ending. For me, it's not as good a film as uh, uh, Good Vibrations. I know you're horrified at me bringing out Good Vibrations, but I, it's not, there's not a lack of grit that ought to be there in this movie somewhere. And it's just a little bit glossy, a little bit easy, a little bit trout. It's a good movie, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, but just a little bit glossy about the whole thing. Agreed. I think that maybe I just fall on the side of not all history movies in particular, especially when they talk about um, the black experience, should always be gritty and harsh and 
challenging in, in that regard. So in the same way that Good Vibrations chooses to focus on the positives and hide some of the issues of the troubles, I think that this movie specifically chooses its focus um, for entertainment yeah. and enjoyable purposes and to give a hopeful, inspiring, enjoyable movie. So I think the glossiness works. I think that's, I mean, I think that's right. I think they're very clever as well to do it in that way because a base what you've got here is a very difficult message indeed that here is a nation that's actually discussing whether killing 142 people by chucking them in the water chained together is allowable or not and this is a country that tells the rest of the world that it's got this fantastic these fantastic laws and legal systems and all the rest of it which is you know a deep hypocrisy of the um the british empire making all these claims about its freedom and at the same time enslaving Uh, millions of people so this film gets that message across without the grit as it were and therefore probably maybe makes it more acceptable and makes maybe more people will pick it up and and think about it than if you push their faces in it so did you think that it did you find it unrealistic that i just found it a little bit i know what's going to happen here and gosh so it did but you know that it's yeah. I, nonetheless i quite enjoyed the experience but i wouldn't watch it a third time okay that's fair enough i i understand that okay so the historical accuracy stuff and i think there is quite a bit of disagreement in some cases about how accurate it is as far as dido is concerned we don't know an awful lot about her we do know that she doesn't inherit 2000 quid that she and so presumably they've done it for dramatic purposes to introduce this James Thornton character with his dilemma of racism or money. He, she gets a little bit of money at the end from Lord Mansfield. She, Davinia isn't a curate, he's a French servant who she marries and she has three children. So all of that Davinia stuff is kind of... You know, he's not there. He's not an abolitionist. He's not the forefront. He's not this incredibly brave person who, you know, breaks all the conventions. We don't know about Dido. Certainly there's a historian, a very famous historian of the slave trade, James Wolvin, who thinks the whole thing's a complete joke, that there's no way that that she would have broken conventions in the way that she breaks them. Um, she may well have had all those feelings about um, racial insecurity and so on. He finds all that quite unbelievable. And I think his point is, which I have some sympathy with, is that what we've got here is a whole load of 21st century values being dumped on an 18th century situation, which, as I think we may have discussed before, it would be lovely to see a film that didn't do that historical movie, which didn't do that so many of them do but of course that makes it much more accessible to a to a modern audience the law all the law stuff the zong case does exist lord mansfield this is an absolutely a towering figure of english jurisprudence there are three scots around about this time who lord mansfield being one of them william garrow is another one and Thomas Erskine is another one who had this fundamental effect on the operation of English law and Lord Mansfield makes these judgments. There are two judgments really which in the history of slavery which are important by Lord Mansfield. The Zong case is less of 
less important. In actual fact, he doesn't make a judgment that the insurers can't be paid. He orders a retrial because the evidence about the fact that the water was available hadn't come across in the trial and therefore he orders a retrial. Actually, the retrial probably never happens or we've no evidence that it happens. So in effect, it becomes a judgment against the insurer because they're not confident enough to ever bring the case again. But this is no great statement of freedom or, you know, uh, a judicial judgment that in English law you cannot be a slave. That comes in a different case, the Somerset case, where very famously Mansfield agonises about it and uh, and there's a whole focus on it about whether in English law you can be a slave because actual fact there's no law written which says you can't be a slave in England even though it's always been assumed that you can't be a slave in England. Quite clearly the English can enslave and they do in spades but not in England. And there's this Somerset case where Mansfield says you can't be a slave in England because although there isn't a specific law, slavery is such an evil institution that there would have to be a positive law, an actual statute, which said, yes, you can be enslaved in England. Um, And in a way, that's a much more important case. It's interesting. And I presume they choose the Zong judgment because it's such a dramatic issue. You know, it puts you straight in front of you. 142 people murdered and we're talking about whether they're goods or people you know just the horror of that situation is maybe more of more dramatic worth than the James Somerset case um that's it really I think you know quite a lot of this about the, the Ashfords and all the rest of it are made up they're made up pretty convincingly I think but they're not you know 100% it's in a little bit of the same territory as Master and Commander. You know, the world is is drawn, I think, quite nicely and quite well, but there's quite a lot of uh, historical inaccuracies. That's kind of my super summary. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I had a couple of points. One, that it surprised me, especially because of how kind of the film ends a little bit neatly and then has the title cards come up, that it takes 26 years mm. for the Slave Trade Act of 1807 to be passed, like after the... Zong uh, massacre uh, discussion um, and that for 10 years after that um, obviously as you said because they didn't rule the way they do in the movie um, insurers could still insure human slaves um, on ships for the next 10 years and that was still fairly common practice until that's outlawed again but like 10 years later mm. um, so I was surprised by how long it takes afterwards for kind of significant action to be taken place the film, I think, brings across, as you said earlier, very well, just what a powerful faction the slaving lobby is. This is enormous amounts of money, enormous wealth, and very deep racist attitudes. So I think in the original Zong case, because this is actually a retrial, this one that Mansfield takes, has been a case before, and you, there's a, I think it's mentioned in the judgment that he makes, horses are being compared with human beings. There's a long way to go from this in yeah. terms of people's attitudes. Yeah, and that, that moment stood... I forgot to mention it earlier. That moment stood out to me when I was like... So you get this... The music rises and um, Belle is watching and 
he he makes the correct decision so we can feel of that like you would in any typical court case but in order for that to happen he has to, the only way he can justify it is to be like these human beings are the same as livestock you can't kill your livestock and then get insurance money for it and it's such an awful concept that, and that's the only way that you can pitch that to the audience and to yourself to change your beliefs. That you know the racist beliefs are ingrained, and it's going to take a very long time for anything to change. It to me, it just doesn't feel good in that moment. Um, so it, it was it was a really good point to to bring up. Uh, and the, I guess the last thing I was going to say really quick is that um, the only thing I'd say about the history is I think that it's really handy that they found this slight blank slate of a character this really fascinating figure in this incredible painting because they offer so much possibility um and i think while the film does have a lot of historical inaccuracy in it it's nicely shrouded in mystery so you can give your characters you can make your characters do what you want them to do and it's still very plausible as in Dido could have had these feelings. Like, sure, historians might say they don't, but it's it's vague enough that I, I don't think they argue about the fact that she would have felt in within two worlds. I think it's entirely convincing and entirely possible. I don't think they say that. They're just saying she didn't convince him to make this vote. Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, and I, I, yeah, and I think that's probably fine. I just think it's a it's it's almost perfect. I think it's a really there's enough. Um, mystery in there that you can craft this story and it still be plausible and believable and have the impact it needs to um, without it feeling like it's totally made up. Very good. Okay, so let's summarize. Would in essence you're 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 pretty pleased with this movie. You think it's you think it's good. What would you give it as a mark in terms of its qualities of film? Uh, I'd give it a seven. Uh-huh. Maybe it's just because it's modern, but I, I I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than uh, Henry VIII. Okay, and historical accuracy, I suppose. A five or a six? Yeah, I think I've gone a five. Um, I mean, the historical actually is a hard one when you put the number on yeah. it. Um, but I just was kind of like, we can't prove or disprove so much of it. Yeah. And then there's all these bits of truth in there. So I thought going right in the middle, uh, it certainly tells me the place, the time, the setting. I, I get that yeah. feel for things. I mean, I think it's extremely unlikely that uh, Bell would have hopped, in, hopped into a carriage and gone into London. I think it's almost vanishingly unlikely that the coachman would have taken her. But, you know, hey, it's it's a film. She needs to have agency and be dynamic and all the rest of it. Otherwise, it would be uh, a bit of a grind. So, you know. Okay, so in, su- Would you reckon- in summary, I mean, I think uh, I'd marked it as a six in terms of quality of film and a five in terms of historical accuracy. I'm maybe being a bit... The reason I'm not being quite as enthusiastic as I think it might have been 18 months ago is that it really hits you over the head with a trowel. You know, again, I, and I said it before, you know what the things are going to be and they give it to you. And it's just not very subtle. But it is, it's a great movie. It tackles some very difficult themes. I think they're really clever in the way that they present it as a as a sort of glossy movie rather than really making, you know, really pushing the slavery angle. It's not 12 years a slave. They don't do that. And I think that has a benefit in maybe making it more acceptable and making more people think about the issues in the movie. So, you know, it's pretty good. 
Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really good. Good. Okay. Thank you very much. I think that we've brought that to an end. Unless there's anything else you'd like to say? No, nope, I'm good, finished. Man. I'm finished too. So thank you very much for listening, everybody. Come along to the Facebook group and tell us what you think and share your views. And I hope you'll go and see the movie. And we'll see you next time. Uh, thank you very much. And goodbye, I guess. Are you not entertained? <laughs>